As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Curiosity. True crime and paranormal stories. We're going to conduct an experiment. Curiosity. I am your host, Nightcat. A sparse little man who feeds off his self-delusions. Curiosity. Oh, it's going to get spicy. Make sure you put the night kittens to bed. It's almost time. Curiosity. 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 Killed Nightcat. Hello and welcome to another episode of Curiosity Killed Nightcat, the true crime companion podcast to the Nightcap with Nightcat YouTube channel. Check it all out at nightcatshow.com. I'm so glad that you're here. So this is going to be a little out of order. If you're looking at the podcast feed and you're wondering why I'm giving you episode 17 before episode 16... The way it works on the Curiosity Killed Nightcat podcast is the Patreon patrons, patreon.com slash nightcatshow, if you'd like to become a patron, <laughs> uh, they get the episodes a week before anybody else. So episode 16 dropped for them last week. But this week, I'm doing something a little bit different. There has been so much incredible true crime news coming out in the last week or two that I wanted to get right on top of that. And I wanted to go through and kind of compile all the millions of news articles written about these things and give you a pretty clear, concise picture of what's going on with some of them. But that also means that if I waited until next week to give this episode to everybody else, my information would be hella outdated. Well, I hope it will be. Hopefully a lot of these people will be in jail. But But that's not always how it goes. So I'm giving you episode 17 at the same time as the Patreon patrons. And then next week, the regular feed is going to have episode 16, which is really good, by the way. If you want to become a Patreon patron and listen to it, it's about a serial poisoner. She's like a Black Widow type. Oh, she's so scary. Her name is Blanche Taylor Moore, and she killed so many husbands. I can't believe it. She got away with killing so many of her husband and got away with it for so long. But I digress. That's next week. This week, we're going to be talking about some true crime news. Boop, 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 boop. I'm, I'm going to insert some news sounds into there. Boop, 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 boop. Like the, you know the one. So obviously, like, the biggest true crime news of the week has been Gabby Petito. Gabby Petito, 22-year-old woman, she went on a road trip with her boyfriend. And they were on a trip for months. It was a really long one. And suddenly, September 1st, he showed up back to his parents' house in Florida all by himself. He had the van, he had himself, but Gabby was nowhere to be found. And he has clammed up. He hasn't talked to anyone besides his own parents, I'm guessing, and like his lawyer. 
So we're going to talk about what exactly is going on with the case, including that absolutely wild body cam footage that Moab police uh, released on Thursday. So let's get into all of it. So she's first reported missing on September 11th. Her mom basically just says that I can't say very much, but I can confirm that she's no longer with the van. If you're looking for her, don't look for the van. And she was very careful not to mention Brian, her boyfriend, at all. So... How did we get here? Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie are described as childhood sweethearts. Um, I can't get a lot of clear details because obviously we're going to be finding out more about this case for a really long time. But So I don't know what they consider childhood sweethearts, but they were at least romantically involved through their later teen years, like high school sweethearts. They were living in Long Island, New York, and then in 2019, they moved together to Florida to live with his parents. I don't know if his parents moved down there in 2019 or if he was living with someone else on Long Island and then his parents were like, hey, come live with us. Uh, but they moved in with his parents down in Florida. They end up taking a cross-country road trip in this little itty-bitty, like, neon Sentra, and that's when Gabby realizes that that's what she wants to do. And much like many young people test-driving homelessness before the housing market eventually puts us there, they went out and they bought themselves a 2012 Ford Transit van. And they converted it into a sleeper camper, which are really cool. I will give you that. I just still don't know if I'm ready for van life down by the river, personally. They converted it into a camper, and they started a YouTube channel. So she, what she was really trying to do, what she really wanted, and I'm, I'm sure this is what Brian wanted too, but it really feels like a lot of this was Gabby's idea and Gabby's doing and Gabby's work. Gabby started a YouTube channel and she was trying to become an influencer, like one of those van life influencers. The YouTube channel is called Nomadic Static, static with a K, and they had planned on documenting all of their travels as they go through and travel the world in this van without jobs. I don't know how they were doing that. So as soon as she's announced missing, I'm looking into this, and I went to her channel, they only have one video, and when I looked at it, it had like... 1,500 views or something, not very many. And then I went and looked at it today when I was writing all of this. 1.4 million views. Everyone around the world is watching this story right now. So the video itself is actually eight minutes, and it's actually kind of sweet because it's just the two of them. They're laughing, they're kissing, they're going out climbing rocks, you know, van people, doing van people stuff. Um, just like obnoxiously cute couple and they just looked so happy. By the way, that one video is called Van Life Beginning Our Van Life Journey, if you want to go look it up. Um, I also link, uh, I also link the video and their channel in the sources. If you go down into to the description of this podcast, you should be able to find all of the sources for all of these stories, um, including that YouTube channel and the YouTube video. Their trip starts by driving up to New York, back to Long Island, so they can visit some friends and family and then after a little while there they start making their way west and they're stopping at like every state park national park that they can find they travel all through the midwest eventually venturing through my home state of utah they get into southern utah and you know they hit all the big spots because we have all those national parks down there. They hit up Bryce Canyon, then Zion, uh, Mystic Hot Springs. They end up over in eastern Utah in Canyonlands. 
And even though they were like thousands of miles away, Gabby posted constantly on social media. She was in contact with her family regularly. Gabby was not the type of girl to not have her phone right next to her and to not respond to stuff almost immediately. So, you know, pretty active. And again, she's trying to be an influencer, so she's really trying to romanticize it and make it look great. But as they left Canyonlands and started heading into Arches National Park, it really seems like the van life started to get to them. Because when they end up in Moab, Utah, they stopped somewhere at a store. I'm not really sure what store, probably like a grocery store or something. They stopped there and they started fighting in the parking lot and they were being really loud and it looked like it was going to get physical. So a bunch of people in the parking lot called 911 and had officers dispatched to take a look and see what was going on with Brian and Gabby. By the time the cops got there, they had pulled off, they had taken off, but they were able to track them down a few miles away and just sort of assess what was going on in the vehicle. Now, just a couple of days ago, it actually might have been yesterday, police in Moab released the body cam footage of that uh, interaction of, of them getting pulled over. And the whole thing is about an hour. So if you have an hour to invest, I, I think you would actually be really interested in the body cam footage, but it's a lot. So let's go ahead and just sort of summarize what happened here. So Moab police, you see the first one walking up to the passenger side of the van where Gabby is sitting. And as soon as they turn and look at her, she is just sobbing uncontrollably. She cries for like the entire hour that this uh, whole traffic stop goes on. And Gabby is trying really hard to kind of smooth things over with the police, even though she can't stop wiping tears off her face the whole time. She can't catch her breath. She's like hyperventilating. She basically just said that they had been fighting a lot. Um, they had been spending a lot of time together and, and she was just getting into little arguments with Brian, quote unquote, little arguments, really trying to downplay everything. Then uh, they interview Brian. So they end up separating them, which, of course, that's always how it goes. They separate them, try to get the story from each of their perspectives. So Brian is telling them that they both, he and uh, Gabby, have similar mental health issues. And after five months of being cooped up in a tiny van together, they were just starting to get on each other's nerves and things were starting to spiral out of control. And as he's kind of talking, they ask him how he got the scratches on his face because he's got pretty clear scratch marks on his face. So Brian tells them that Gabby that morning was having some sort of manic episode. It kind of starts with him getting into the van with dirty shoes and she has this meltdown and he's saying that there was no talking sense into her. She was freaking out. There was nothing he could do. And she started hitting him over this, these dirty shoes. And then somehow she convinced herself. And again, this is from Brian's side of things. I don't really know uh, what was said during the argument, but I'm guessing maybe Maybe Brian did threaten to leave her because or, or maybe she was just convinced herself that it was going to happen and, and like was freaking out about it. But she became convinced that Brian was going to leave her in Utah without a ride. And so that really drove her over the edge and she starts hitting him. That's when he said that he pushed her away and she kind of reached out and scratched him as she was kind of, you know, stumbling back. So he says it was a defensive thing. She was coming after me. She's been manic. She's been upset. And then Gabby goes on to say, yeah, I don't know. 
this is a quote. Yeah, I don't know. It's just that some days I have really bad OCD and I was just trying to clean and straighten things up and I was apologizing to him saying I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD and get frustrated. And then Brian said that he didn't want to press charges or anything because she's his fiance. Uh, he loves her. According to USA Today, one of the responding officers just sort of looked at this whole situation and said, I do not believe the situation escalated to the level of a domestic assault as much as that of a mental health crisis. So even the police officer is looking at this. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And he basically was just like, yeah, listen, these kids are just really sick of being in each other's presence. So he basically just tells them, all right, well, if no one's pressing charges, we're going to let you go. But we would strongly encourage you to go find separate accommodations, separate lodging, at least for the night, so that you guys can address your mental health issues separately. And they said, well, we really want to stay together. So they did not heed that warning, which might actually have been a pretty good thing for both of them. Because in general, honestly, if you're having a pretty bad time and just someone's breathing or their existence is annoying you, you should probably just take a few minutes away from that person. Just just try to deal with what's going on. So after that, they end up heading to Salt Lake City hometown uh, on August 24th. Gabby was seen in public for the last time at a Fairfield Inn and Suites, a hotel out near the airport, which weirdly enough, this hotel is only 700 feet away from the FBI's Salt Lake City field office. So they're right next to the FBI. And Fox 13, those nosy little Nellies, they got into the hotel and they talked to the staff and the staff was like, we won't talk on camera, we won't talk on camera. So they agreed to an off-camera talk and uh, they said, yes, the police have been here. The FBI have been here. Uh, we can't say anything else. We are on a hard lockdown. But investigators have confirmed that that was the last time she was actually seen was that day at the uh, hotel, August 24th. And there's not really a whole lot that's known after that, but... It's suspected that they made it as far as Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming because the last time that Gabby talked with her mom on the phone, she said that that's approximately where they were was somewhere out in Grand Teton. But after that, they pretty much just completely stopped hearing from her. Occasional little text here and there. And the final text that they end up getting is on August 30th. But according to the family's lawyers, they don't believe that most of those final texts that they were getting were actually from Gabby. Um, they suspect probably that they came from Brian as he was trying to cover up whatever they think that he did, allegedly. I have to be very careful here, because normally when I do these things, I'm doing them about people who have already been tried and convicted in a court of law. So I can say, yeah, that guy did it. Uh, but still, with it being so early, you have to say allegedly. So allegedly, 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 everything in this episode is so alleged, I can't even tell you how alleged it is. So they, they believe that they did not get any text from Gabby pretty much after that last time that she talked to her mom on the phone in, in somewhere near Grand Teton, Wyoming. So the last reported sighting was here in Salt Lake. The last reported contact was in Wyoming. And that's just kind of where we are with the whole thing. So Brian returned home September 1st, which is... Hold on. How many days does August have? Oh my god, I should have looked this up first. You are the dumbest. Jeezy Pete's 31. So 
the last text that they allegedly got from allegedly Gabby uh, was August 30th. And then two days later, Brian returns home September 1st, completely shuts down. He isolated himself. He's not talking to anyone. He is not cooperating with law enforcement. Police have impounded his van and were redirected to Brian's lawyer anytime they tried to contact him. Well, this Wednesday, just two days ago, the Northport, Florida police chief did the most. He's such a baller. This is a baller move because uh, every time they tried to get in touch with Brian, they just keep getting referred to the lawyer. Go to the lawyer and the lawyer is not doing anything. So the police chief gets on Twitter and says, Mr. Stephen Bertolino Esquire, the Northport police need your help in finding Gabby Petito. Please call us to arrange a conversation with Brian Laundrie. Two people left on a trip and one person returned. Hashtag where's Gabby? Hashtag find Gabby. Hashtag FBI Tampa. Hashtag Gabby Petito. Ooh, calling him out. Yeah, put the pressure on the lawyer. There is nothing quite like social media pressure that'll get people to finally buckle. So I think if enough people are retweeting that and tweeting to that uh, that lawyer idiot who's not, you know, helping in the slightest in this whole thing, the whole thing just reeks of guilt. I, I can't just say that he did it, but God damn it, it's almost always the boyfriend. He was the only one with her. He's not cooperating with police, which granted is not always a sign that someone is guilty. Sometimes you don't cooperate with, with police because you are innocent and you don't want to get framed for it, which I totally understand. But if this guy already has a lawyer on retainer, then he should be willing to go in and talk to the police. Because if the police try to pull anything, if the police try to try any funny business, his lawyer should be able to just stop the interview and walk out. Like that's the whole point of having a lawyer there. But if he's so nervous that he won't even go into the police with a lawyer, oh, ooh, come on. That guy probably did it, right? That guy probably did it. Only one member of Brian's family has spoken to the press at all. None of the other Laundry family is available for comment in the slightest. But the press finally got to his sister and his sister basically just told them, I have not spoken to my brother since he got back. So even she is on hard lockdown. As far as Gabby's family is concerned, they have just been pounding the pavement. They're doing the media rounds. They're trying to get her missing posters. Uh, her face circulated everywhere. They don't want anyone to forget. They know how important it is to keep, you know, the eye of the media on a missing person uh, before the inevitable garbage, horrifying news cycle takes over and, and we're now focused on something else entirely. So they've been doing a really great job of that because I don't know about you, but uh, Gabby Petito is pretty much the only thing that I've seen on my page for the last few days. They are begging for Brian and his family to at least talk to them. So here's something from uh, Gabby's stepfather uh, that it just broke my heart. This is an interview that he was doing with Court TV. And he says, quote, we've had no communication between our family and theirs. It's absolutely absurd. We don't understand why. He grew up with Gabby. They went to school together. It's not like they're strangers. They've known each other for a really long time. And then he just kind of goes on to pressure him like, hey, this is the love of your life. You want to protect her. You want to just tell us what's going on. Tell us what happened. They're just begging him and putting all the pressure on him to come up and talk. As far as I know, 
he hasn't. But that, I mean, honestly, that could change in the time that it takes me to edit this episode. So um, as far as I know, he is a still a free man and police are still pursuing him pretty hard. And if you know anything about the Petito case, if you know anything about where Gabby is, uh, if you know anything about maybe they weren't going to Grand Teton, maybe they were kind of somewhere else and you saw them, uh, any information you can give them. And don't waste their time with stupid tips. Don't be that guy. But if you have a credible tip, a lead, a picture, video surveillance, something like that, anything of Gabby, call the FBI at one 800 Call FBI. How easy is that? 1-800-CALL-FBI. Any tip that you can give is really appreciated. So sad. So, so sad. If you want to break your heart, go watch that video on their YouTube page because it really ruined me. I felt so bad for that poor girl. All right, but we are going to switch gears now to the other biggest true crime news story that came out this week, which blew my mind. And this has been a true crime story that has been brewing since back in like June. And I'm going to actually tell you, it's been brewing for even longer than that. But this week we got somewhat of a conclusion to at least part of it. So let's go through the saga of the Alex Murdoch family. So Alex Murdoch, he's a super famous South Carolina lawyer, and he ended up getting arrested for soliciting his own murder from his alleged drug dealer so that he could get a $10 million payout for his only remaining son. Goes up to his drug dealer. He's like, I want you to shoot me so that I dead and my son can get my life insurance policy. And his drug dealer was like, cool beans. But oh God, there is so much more death surrounding this entire family. So they are either cursed or they're involved in some sort of deep state crime syndicate of some kind, because you're never going to believe this. I mean, granted, actually, you probably will believe it because every rich family on TV is involved in some sort of murder for hire plot or covering up a murder. So let's start with who the Murdaughs are. Alex Murdaugh, his great-grandfather established a law firm in South Carolina, which has been operating for over a hundred years. He is the third generation of, so the fourth generation total, but the third generation of lawyers to be elected solicitor, which is some kind of government lawyer. I tried to look it up. I'm too dumb. I tried to figure it out. I could not figure out exactly how a solicitor is different from like, a district attorney or uh, an attorney general. I could not figure it out. Uh, so it's something along those lines of being a government lawyer, but he's the solicitor. So he's the third generation of solicitors. His dad and his grandpa held it for like 85 years before he did. So a Murdoch has been in that position for forever. In June, though, tragedy struck the family. So Alex was visiting with his family, his wife and his son, at the family's hunting lodge, but had gone home to see his sick dad for a little while. And while he was away, his 22-year-old son Paul and his wife Maggie were shot multiple times to death next to the family's dog run. They didn't die multiple times. They were shot multiple times, which resulted in death. I tried to figure out how to write that in a way where that was clear, but I don't think I did it right. <laughs> So Alex gets back from visiting his dad. He was only gone like a couple of hours, which honestly to me seems pretty convenient, but I'm not going to get into that because we'll we'll talk about some other stuff here in a bit. Um, he got back from his dad's house and he found uh, his wife and son uh, out there and he calls 911 immediately. 
My wife and child have been shot. I've been up to it now. It's really bad, he said in the call. So, like, he got up there and didn't try to, like, revive them or anything. Like, that's how clear it was that they had they were dead and there was nothing he could do about it. So that case is still being investigated. And I'll give you just like a little bit more at the end here on that one. And boy, does that case get a lot more complicated when you learn more about this family because Paul was already in trouble for something else. He was facing trial for yet another death. In 2019, he was driving his dad's 17 foot boat. He is drunk off of his ass and he ends up crashing that boat into a bridge which results in some of the passengers getting knocked overboard and everyone was recovered except for a 19 year old girl by the name of Mallory Beach they searched that lake or river I'm I think it was a lake oh god I should have looked that up I'm pretty sure it was a lake uh, they searched that lake for a week before they finally found her body. Paul was in a hell of a lot of hot water when he was murdered. And then just weeks after Maggie and Paul are killed, Alex Murdaugh ends up getting shot in the head on the side of a rural South Carolina road. But... He is quickly taken to the hospital where he arrives with superficial wounds and given an otherwise clean bill of health. So he got shot, but he didn't die. And just days after that, he checked himself into a rehab for opioids and his law firm announced that they were investigating him for some stolen money because that's right. Alex was also embezzling tons of money, millions of dollars, they think, from his great granddaddy's 100 year old law firm. And his lawyer said, that he was stealing the money from the law firm to pay for his drugs. I mean, yeah, maybe his lawyer is just being really honest, or maybe that's the horrible thing they're willing to admit in order to hide the really horrible stuff. But to say I'm embezzling millions of dollars to buy millions of dollars worth of drugs, ugh, not, not a strong start to your case, Alex. All right, so on Monday of this week, he admitted to law enforcement that he was depressed and that he wanted to die. And, and obviously this is all a result of like his wife and his son being shot. He's addicted to drugs. He doesn't see a way out. He probably found out the law firm was onto his little embezzlement scam and he was just looking for a way out. So apparently what he did is he got in touch with a guy he knew through the drug world and said, I need you to shoot me. I will pay you handsomely if you come and shoot me because he was trying to get that $10 million payout from his life insurance for his last remaining son. All of his other family is dead. So he wanted to do something in order to protect his son and, and, and make sure his son was taken care of. But he thought that if he had died by suicide, his son wouldn't have been able to collect on that life insurance policy, which is actually not true. I think it depends on your own life insurance policy, but some of them have like a suicide clause where as long as you wait a certain amount of time, like a year or two or whatever, uh, then after that, if the life insurance policy holder dies by suicide, the family can still collect. But I think it depends on obviously your plan and then whatever the state rules are. And then I don't know what the federal rules are, if there are any, who knows? Now, the reason he came forward with this is because the police probably were going to find out anyway, but he also said that he didn't want to waste the police's time looking into his case 
when his son and his wife's cases are still unsolved. And he he's like, I don't want to divert resources. I don't want to divert time. I want you guys to focus on that. And I will take my licking. I will take my punishment as I need it. Turned himself in to the judge yesterday. They set a $20,000 bond, which I'm sure he paid immediately, probably with his dirty lawyer money. Uh, that he was stealing, and his lawyer said that he planned on bonding out and going right back to rehab, so I actually think he's in rehab right now. Quote from the USA Today, Murdaugh was listed as a co-defendant in the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division announced charges against Curtis Edward Smith, 61, who faces counts of assisted suicide, assault and battery of a high aggravated nature, pointing and presenting a firearm, insurance fraud, and conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. But the hits just don't stop coming because two days ago, Wednesday, law enforcement launched a new investigation into the 2018 death of the Murdoch's housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, who had been working for the family, by the way, for like 20 years. She raised those kids. But in 2018, she died at the Murdaugh home. And at the time, her death was ruled, quote, natural causes. So she was never autopsied or even seen by the coroner. But the coroner recently looked a little closer at the papers and realized that the death was attributed to a slip and fall accident, which should never be categorized as a natural cause death. I think that that's supposed to be categorized as an accident or an accidental death, in which case... The, there might have been an autopsy performed or someone would have looked a little into it. But there's some speculation that with all of the money he was embezzling and all of the connections that he had, Alex was somehow able to cover up the murder of his housekeeper. And that's a pretty much all we have for now. But who knows? Maybe he killed her. Maybe one of his sons killed her. Uh, maybe it was a slip and fall and they just are messy with paperwork in South Carolina. Who knows? I mean, Alex is a lawyer who thought that he couldn't get his life insurance policy after suicide, which is worrying for a lawyer because you should know your life insurance policy. You should know the contract at the very least be able to look it up. So maybe South Carolina, because of uh, people like this solicitor, just doesn't have a great paperwork system. But we're gonna find out because they are actively investigating. And part of the uh, respawn of this investigation came from the fact that there's a civil lawsuit being filed against Alex in the wrongful death of Gloria. After Gloria died, Gloria's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Murdoch's, which they settled for $500,000 out of court. Whenever a rich person settles for a lot of money, I'm like, oh, they did it. I don't know what they did. I don't know how they did it, but they did it. And they're saving face by not going to court. That guy did it. And it gets really hairy when you find out that one of the passengers who survived Paul's boat crash said in an interview, Paul is going to get away with it because of who his family is and that he should be rotting in prison. Police are now looking into whether or not that was the motive for killing Paul and his mom. People didn't think that justice would be served, so they took justice into their own hands on behalf of Mallory. But they're also looking into whether or not the crash investigation was interfered with at all by outside forces. Because now it's starting to look like cover-ups aren't exactly a foreign concept to this family. And there's a chance that Alex was embezzling some of that money from the law firm and using it to pay off cops, to, to flex his arms a little bit, to, to mess up these investigations. And again, the deeper you look into this story and the, the farther you fall down the conspiracy rabbit holes on Reddit, which I would not recommend, 
recommend because there's a lot of them. Uh, the more you look into this, the, the weirder it gets. And we're only going to find out more as it comes. Um, but that $500,000 settlement, the Murdaws never actually paid any of it, according to the family, who is now bringing a second lawsuit, this time against the Murdaws and the Murdaws lawyers who were supposed to be, you know, sending them $500,000. I'm going to try to count all of this up. So we are now currently dealing with a double homicide at the hunting lodge. The wrongful death lawsuit of a housekeeper, which had already been settled once, we are dealing with the death of a 19-year-old girl at the hands of a drunk dude who is now dead, so where's that investigation going? We're looking at a drug dealer who just wanted a few extra bucks to kill some dude, which it has got to be really painful for a drug dealer to kill one of their best customers. Because if he was spending millions of dollars on op opioids, like his lawyer is saying he was doing, then your drug dealer is not going to want to kill you. You're a whale. You're going to keep bringing them drug money. So I don't know how much he offered to pay him in exchange for that, but it must have been real expensive. Like, you know, those uh, those pictures that come around on Facebook or whatever, the memes that are like, would you slap your best friend for a million dollars? Like, absolutely. You know what? I know my best friend. I think she would let me slap her for 10 grand if we split it. Like, <laughs> of course I would. Absolutely. So I, I wonder how much money he had to be offered in order to kill him. Would you kill your best client for $10 million? I'm sure he was getting a fat chunk of that $10 million life insurance policy or something along those lines. And that is the story of Alex Murdaugh, as well as the story of uh, Gabby Petito. There is so much going on in true crime news. I just had to do all of it, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to keep an eye on these stories. I'll probably give you little updates before we get back into the regular stories. Uh, if you are a Patreon subscriber, look forward to episode 18 next week. If you are just checking this out on the regular feed, episode 16 will come out for you next week. I know it's going to be weird. Everyone's going to be upset about it. Deal with it, sister. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, thank you so much for downloading. Please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, check out the link tree in the description of this podcast so that you can find uh, all of our social media, everything else. And if you love true crime, you have got to come on one of the Nightcat True Crime Walking Tours. The Nightcat True Crime Walking Tour, so fun. I take you around downtown Salt Lake City. I point out where some of the most notorious true crime events happened. Oh, we have a blast. I can't even tell you. I hope to see you out there soon. Check out nightcatshow.com for more information on that. Or again, click on the link tree in the description of this podcast, linktr.ee slash Jackson Witt. Click on that. You'll get a $5 off coupon if you go uh, book your tickets through the link tree. So go check that out. All right. I will see you soon. Thank you so much for downloading. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.